Okay, good morning everyone. Please come and grab your seats. If you've got a Bible, could you go to um, Mark chapter 10? Mark chapter 10, we will get there momentarily. If you've not met me, my name is Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here. Very warm welcome to you. Okay, uh, last week, um, not last week, I think the week before, um, I was at a training day. This church, we're part of a network of churches called New Frontiers. Within that, we're part of a sphere known as the Catalyst Network. Um, And what we do as leaders of churches is a couple of times a year we get together to have learning days where we just look at a subject, talk about it, pray, think about it and then try and apply it to our church situations. We've done one on diversity, we've done one on the class divide in churches and we did one just last week or the week before on the area of suffering which is when you get the email comes through, next learning day is all about suffering, you're like... Shall I go to that one? Or maybe I'm busy and I've got emails to answer or something. But I went and it was fantastic. It was a really good opportunity to think and talk about suffering and to hear from some people and just wrestle with it and what it means. And lo and behold, a week later, I'm reading in my Bible our next part of the Mark series and this subject comes up. So it's going to be particularly relevant for us today. So we are in Mark chapter 10. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark from the very beginning, which I think we started back in September, our series all about Jesus. So we want to look at Jesus. This is all about him. And we're in the middle section of Mark. The first eight and a little bit chapters all take place in Galilee uh, with Jesus' ministry, where he's healing and he's teaching and he's coming to conflict with the religious authorities. In the middle section of the gospel, sort of chapters eight, nine, and ten, are the, the hinge point of the gospel where Jesus is on the way. That phrase comes up again and again in that section. He's on the way somewhere. And in that, we've got um, the great bit where Peter is asked by Jesus, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. Uh, and then Jesus reveals to uh, his disciples that he must suffer and die, which they struggle with. They're not quite there. And then we have the, the object lesson that comes where um, the man, uh, the father who has a son who is very ill, says, I believe, help my unbelief, the struggle of faith that comes in that. So we saw last time, we spoke, Jeremy spoke, and we talk about how discipleship affects our lives in the areas of marriage and children and money. And now we have this last section in Mark chapter 10, which will be the end of this middle bit where Jesus will get to where he's going. And if you read the section, you will listen out and find out where that is. So if you've got your Bible, we've got six slides. Jeremy, are you ready? We're going to read it Together it should appear on the screen behind. Who's starting? Joe, off you go. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, 
or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be, this, must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart. Get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Fantastic, thank you. Guys, all right, if you notice, there was three parts to that passage. The first part was Jesus' prediction of his coming death that would happen in Jerusalem, and there was followed then by two examples of response to that, one from James and John and one from the blind man Bartimaeus. And hopefully if you are noticing, if you're following, one was a great response, one was not so good a response. So big idea today is that disciples of Jesus recognize their need for him and follow his example of service and suffering. Disciples of Jesus recognize their need for him and follow their example of service and suffering. So we're going to look at the model of the suffering servant and then we're going to have example one, self-serving disciples and example two, the model disciple. All right, the suffering servant. So Jesus, he's on the way. He is predicting his death for the third time. If you've been following along, chapter eight, Jesus predicts his death. Chapter nine, Jesus predicts his death. We're now in chapter 10. And he's doing it for the third time. And he is reminding his followers that he will have to suffer and die. And then on the third day, rise again. He said he's on the road. He's going up to Jerusalem. The first time it's been named where he's going. He's been on the way since chapter 8. And he's just been on the way. We now know his destination, which is Jerusalem. And he is leading the way. If we read the passage, he is walking ahead. So he is the one who's leading by example. He is leading um, his people and he is heading to, up to Jerusalem. And he is on the way. And so he is there and he is now explaining to his disciples for the third time what's going to happen. And he speaks directly to the 12. So he's gathering them again and he's saying it again. And so the third time, the three comes up a lot in our Bible. He is trying to reinforce them. This is important. So I'm going to keep telling you it till you get it. And we have a, um, uh, his explanation of what's going to happen is the most detailed of the three. There's the one in chapter eight, one in chapter nine, this third one. And what do you find actually? If you read the rest of the gospel, which we will get to, we will find that everything Jesus says 
actually comes to fulfillment. He's making a prediction about the future, what's going to happen to him, and every bit is then fulfilled later in the gospel as you read it. So first of all, Jesus describes himself as the Son of Man, which has messianic um, connotations. We see it points to his humanity as a man. He was fully God, but he was also fully man, but it also points to his complete authority. Going back to Daniel chapter 7, the one like the Son of Man came before the Ancient of Days, and he was given all authority and power. So Jesus is just restating what his, um, his followers have seen and what he's been pointing through to throughout his entire ministry. He is the one who's going to come. He is the Messiah. And it says, he says, I'll be betrayed, Mark 14, 41, to the chief priests, Mark 14, 53, and the scribes, Mark 14, 53, they will condemn him to death. Mark 14, 64, they will hand him over to the Gentiles. Um, Pilate, um, Mark 15, 1, who will mock him. Mark 15, 29 and 30, they spit on him. Mark 14, uh, 65 and 15, 19, they will flog him. Mark 15, 15, and they will kill him. Mark 15, 37, and then three days later he will rise. Mark 16, 1 and 2. And so Jesus is the Messiah who's in full control of everything that's happening. He knows what's going on, but he also knows where it's heading. Jerusalem is his destination, but it is a place of suffering and rejection and death. And he is the one leading the way towards it. He is not being coerced into it. It is not like circumstances conspired against him, tide of popular opinion turned against him. He got cancelled. No, he is leading the way. This is what I'm after. This is where I'm going. And he is going to suffer and die to save his people. That is why he has come. Jesus has come bringing the message of the kingdom, that people should repent, put their faith and trust in him. We've seen that all the way through Mark to ultimately lead to their salvation. And Jesus is the one who's going to die to make that way of salvation open, to pay for the sins, um, the penalty for sins that the people should um, pay for themselves, but he will stand in their place and suffer and die. And he is really explicit about that. And then we get the two next sections, which Mark has lined up in his gospel as by way of showing how do you respond to that? Jesus has said, I'm going to suffer and die and I am leading the way to Jerusalem. I know where I'm going. I know what's going to happen. And then Mark arranges his material in his gospel. It's like, let's see how you can respond to this. And so we have example number one, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder. And they are, they don't do too well in this if you picked up. So Jesus says, I've come to suffer. I've come to die. And what we see is a blatant example of human self-centeredness. We have Jesus' humility and self-sacrifice. And then we have James and John, God bless them, who are saying, it's all about me and I want stuff. And they, they, they want uh, the kingdom based on power and control. And Jesus is saying, no, the kingdom is based on suffering and service. And so let's look at what they say, verses 35 and 37, they make a request, and you know it's going to go wrong when they start out, teacher, we want you to do whatever you ask for us before they ask. They know what they're asking isn't built on great motives. When you say that, have you ever had kids come to you and say, daddy, I just want you to do what I'm about to ask? Immediately my response is, the answer is going to be no, because the fact you're starting like that is not a great way to begin. And so then Jesus says to them, what do you want me to do for you? Remember that, that is going to come up again later. So Jesus humors them, 
And they say, grant us to sit, one at your right hand, one at your left hand in glory. Let's just, Jesus says, suffering death awaits me. And the two disciples come to him and say, glory and honor and fame, that's what we want. They don't stack up, they don't come together. Their request, one commentator I read, is self-serving, callous towards Jesus after what he's just said, and an offense to their comrades, the other members of the 12 who we will come to. And so they come to Jesus, and their hope is that Jesus would honor them. Jesus, in this whole kingdom thing, I want, we want you to honor us. We want to sit at your right and your left hand. And in Jewish custom, they were places of honor. So they recognized, well, Jesus, you're the, you're the top dog, but we want to be two and three, or joint two. We want to be there together. And they've obviously hatched this plan together, because they come together, two brothers, siblings. Right, let's go to Jesus and see if we can bag the best places in honor uh, when his kingdom comes. So they've kind of grasped it, but they've also totally missed it. They believe um, that discipleship following Jesus is all about self-interest and getting what they want out of uh, their saviour. And so then we have the response to James of John, verses 38 to 40. And what we find is Jesus then comes, responds to them and says, you don't even know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptised with the baptism which I'm baptised. And what that points to is the cup in the Old Testament was a sign of, um, it could be a sign of joy and prosperity, but more often than not, it was a sign of God's wrath. And if we go forward to Gethsemane, what did Jesus pray? What, what, what was to be removed from him? The cup. So there is a, Jesus is saying, can you suffer the wrath of God? And the baptism, again, is that solidarity um, with humanity. So I'm going to suffer God's wrath on behalf of you. Can you do it? And obviously the implication is no, you can't because there's only one saviour. There's only one man, person who is fully man, fully God, which is Jesus. So he's being gracious with them. But James and John, who are just amazing, what do they say? Yeah. Yeah, I can do that. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. We can suffer like you. Talk about, talk about like you've got no idea what you're doing. You're like little children talking to a grown-up. You have just, there is so much removed. But they're in there. I love the fact they're in for a penny, in for a pound. They're like, we want glory and honor, and yes, we can do what you do. They don't quit with that. They just go all in, which I think is an admirable quality, um, but they are just all in wrong in what they're doing, completely wrong. And they say, we're able. And then Jesus then turns it around on them and basically says, actually, you are going to suffer. You are going to die. And if we fast forward a few years, we know the fate of many of the disciples. And we know James was martyred for his faith. John was in prison, later martyred for his faith. And so actually, Jesus says, they're actually, you are going to suffer and die. You cannot do what I do but you are going to suffer for the gospel. You are going to be on the receiving end of the onslaught of the kingdom of darkness and you will suffer God. And he, he points to the, his father in heaven and says, actually, the, those positions of glory are not in my hands anyway. They're in God the Father's hands. So he could not grant the request it's for, for others. And then we get the response of the rest of the disciples. It says they were indignant. They were angry. 
They were like, James and John obviously snuck off and said, Jesus, we want this. When they found out, I wonder how they found out, they overheard, but they were like, what? And then you've got to wonder why they were angry. Were they angry with James and John because they got there first? And they're like, you just bagged the best spots. You know when you call shotgun in the car? You, just, you called it first. We're like, we should have called that first. We don't know, but we can, we can assume. But they may have hold, held similar ambitions. And then Jesus says he calls them together. Verse 42, which is the, the language there. He's, he summoned them to himself. So we got all 12 together. So we've got two who put their foot in it royally. You've got the remaining 10 who are going like, we're really cross with them. Maybe there's going to be a bit of fallout and punch up. Jesus brings them all together. And then let me try and explain to you what the kingdom of God is about because you've all missed it. You've all missed it. And we get uh, verse 42. He says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and exercise authority over them. And the language there is one of um, authority and power and dominance where you get to just say and do it and the attitude is behind that is one uh, of prestige and, and using that for your own advantage, your own ends, which is exactly what James and John were doing. And he's saying, actually, you're acting like the world. You're acting like that. And he says, actually... If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, it's that's what you seek. You are to be a servant. You are to be a servant. And the word he used is for one who waits on tables, which was a lowly, menial role. And he's saying, actually, if you are to be great in the kingdom of God, you are to be like that. We fast forward a few, few chapters and we go to the end of John's gospel. And what do we find Jesus doing? On the night he was betrayed, he's serving his followers and he is washing their feet. And so Jesus is walk, living this out. This isn't something that says, oh, you do. This is something he is embodying to his people. He says, you are to be like that. You are to serve in the kingdom of God. You are to be a servant of all and to be a slave. And the slaves were the lowest. They were the bottom and he says, if you want to be great and good kingdom, you're to be like that. You don't seek glory and authority and power and who's sitting in the best places. You seek to serve. You seek to love. Because seeking your own position is very self-centered, but actually when you serve others, it's other-centered. And that is the motive of love, to serve others, to care for others. And he says, that's what you're doing. And then he puts it in context in that final verse there, verse 45 of that section. He says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so the language there is Jesus says, for even I've come to do that and Jesus is the one who, is, who shouldn't be there. Of all people ever, he is the one who shouldn't be doing that. He is the king of creation. He is the Lord of lords. He's the one over everything. He is God come to earth and he says, I'm doing this. I've come to serve and he's come to serve by dying the idea of a ransom, which is a price paid for prisoners of war or slaves for their freedom. He says, I have come to give my life so that you can go free. That is how we are to act. That is how you are to act. That is how the kingdom acts. That's the way of the king of the kingdom, and that is the way of the kingdom itself. Two words there is to serve and to give sum up the kingdom, what Jesus did. He came to serve and he came to give, and ultimately that was his life. 
And Jesus is saying, this is how you are to live. And in the face of James and John's and the others, self-serving attitude, Jesus says, that is not how we are to live. That is not how you are to live. And then we move on to the second example. Example two, which was the model disciple. So Mark has put in the third prediction of Jesus' death. He's then shown how kind of not to respond to that. And then Jesus' correction of that. Then he puts in another story. And this is the last story before he reaches Jerusalem. And this is the last healing miracle in Mark's gospel. This is the only time as well that someone is actually named who's healed in Mark's gospel. So we actually get a name. This is quite personal here and the irony of this story is the one who sees Jesus clearly is the blind guy the blind man is the one who sees Jesus clearly the irony of that the other disciples who've been with him since the beginning James and John were the first two disciples after Simon and Andrew they've been Jesus with Jesus with the beginning they've seen all this stuff Storms being calmed and 5,000 being fed and healings and teaching. And they've missed it. And then we get the blind guy who sees him, who sees him clearly. And so they're in Jericho, which is about 20 miles southwest of Jerusalem. It's the final leg of the journey. Um, And he's accompanied by a great crowd there. And we get Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus. Um, which was just an addition Mark puts in for his Gentile readers who wouldn't have got that. And we see this guy and it says he's sitting by the roadside. That's a picture of being sidelined and marginalized. He is the outsider. And we've seen that theme running through the Gospels, insiders, outsider. He is a total outsider. He's sitting on the roadside. He's not on, even on the way. Jesus is on the way. He's not on the way. He's on the side. And he's outcast, he's blind, and he's a beggar. He's got nothing, not even his physical senses are going for him because he cannot see. And there'd have been no welfare state, there'd have been no care, nothing put in place. He was just reliant on people giving him stuff. Okay? And then he comes and he hears about Jesus. And he heard that Jesus Nazareth is there. And what does he do? And how does he respond? It says he cries out. He cries out, it's all all I've got. I can't see, I can't see, I don't know where he is, so I'm just going to scream to get his attention. It says he cries out, Jesus, son of David. Now, son of David is a messianic title, going back to King David, he who killed Goliath, the greatest king in the history of Israel. He was a mighty warrior, fought many battles, but he was also a poet, singer, songwriter, wrote many of our psalms. He was kind of the archetype of the king, the great king of Israel. And the one they looked for was another in that line. And Jesus alone. So he sees that Jesus is in the line of David and he's a king like David come to earth now. So he sees something about it and he screams out for his attention. He says, I want one thing from you, Jesus. Mercy or compassion. Have mercy on me, compassion. What were James and John asking for? Glory. He just says, mercy, I got nothing. I, got, I, I can't give you anything. I just, just have mercy on me. I am outside. I am lost. I am broken. I just need mercy. And the crowd respond by shushing him. Shh, be quiet. He must have been quite a nuisance. Jesus is here, the teacher. There's crowds around him wanting him. Maybe he's going to heal someone. Maybe he's going to teach. And you've got the smelly, blind, 
beggar over there who's got nothing who is screaming at the top of his lungs for mercy and they are shushing him. And so what does he do? He cries even louder. He says, I will not be separated from Jesus. He's here. I need him. I've got nothing else. Nothing is going to stop me coming to Jesus. So he cries out and he cries out. And I read this. A commentator said this. The kingdom of heaven, it has been said, is not for the well-meaning, but for the desperate. Bartimaeus is desperate and his desperation is a doorway to faith. The kingdom of God is not for the well-meaning, but for the desperate. And I know some of you are in this place right now where you are facing something in your lives where it is feeling overwhelming and you are in a desperate place. And I want to say to you, the kingdom of God is for you now in your desperation, just like Bartimaeus. Just like Bartimaeus. And what happens What's the response of Jesus? Verse 49 onwards. And it says, first three words are telling, and Jesus stopped. How do you stop the king of kings? You cry out for mercy. You cry out in desperation. How do you get the king of kings' attention? You cry out in desperation, saying, I've got nothing else. I, I need you because I can't rely on any of my own resources or my own strength or my own abilities. And Bartimaeus manages to stop the king in his tracks, which is incredible. And then Jesus says, call him. So they called the blind man saying, take up, get up, he's calling you. How does Bartimaeus respond when the king calls? Throwing off his cloak, which is probably his only earthly possession, his outer garment, he threw it off. Do you reckon he's going to get that back? He's blind in a crowd. No, he threw everything aside and he sprang up and he came to Jesus. He came to Jesus. And then what does Jesus do? He asks the same question he asked James and John. Compare verse 51 with verse 36. He says to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Bear in mind what James and John asked for. Glory, position, power. And what did he want? He said, I just want to see. I just want to see. James and John asked for extraordinary glory. The blind man asked for ordinary health. Bartimaeus asked for faith. James and John asked for fame. Bartimaeus wants to follow Jesus. James and John wanted to sit with Jesus in glory. Jesus came, called the blind man to him. He addressed him as a person, not a problem, and asked him that question, what do you want? And he says, I want to be able to see. Let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go on your way. Your faith has made you well. That word well means complete, whole saved his response of faith to the savior meant he found salvation because he cried out in his desperation knowing he could do nothing for himself and jesus said that's faith i will take you i will save you 
I will heal you and made you well. And it says he immediately recovered his sight. And what did he do? It says he followed him on the way. The response of faith of Bartimaeus and the healing he received out of that was that he would throw his complete lot in with Jesus. I'm going to follow you on that. And where's Jesus going? He's going to Jerusalem and he's going to suffer and he's going to die. And Bartimaeus has gone from being on the sideline, marginalized, outcast, to them being on the way following Jesus. Following Jesus. Faith that does not lead to discipleship is not saving faith. Saving faith, which is what Bartimaeus displayed there, means he follows Jesus. He becomes a follower of Jesus. He becomes a disciple of Jesus, even on the road that leads to the cross. So at the beginning of the story, he's sitting on the sideline. By the end of the story, he is utterly transformed. And he is following Jesus on the way. And so what we have there is two incredible stories in response to Jesus saying, I'm going to go and suffer and die. You've got the self-serving response of the 12, and then you've got the desperate response of the blind man and what happens to both. Who, was, who went away satisfied? The blind man. He received healing. Jesus has the power to heal, but heal completely. And Bartimaeus joins him on the way. So we've got a couple of things we're just going to talk about by way of application and then we're going to worship Jesus again two things first one following Jesus means recognizing our need recognizing our need this story this section illustrates two response to the message of Jesus and who he is and what he's done the first is self-serving the first is what can I get from him what can he do for me people come to Jesus with the attitude of how can you help me? What can you do for me? How can you sort out my, or make my life better? It doesn't recognize need, it doesn't recognize who he is, and it places self above God. It seeks glory and comfort and uses Jesus to try and achieve that. It totally misunderstands the kingdom and our part in it, it is proud and self-centered and perfectly reflects the culture that we live in today. It tries to fit Jesus into the world we live in and expects him to meet the needs dictated by us. And it is the opposite of the gospel message. In contrast to that, we have an example of desperate need, which means coming to Jesus based on our need for him based on our need for salvation and reconciliation and restoration. It means that our, recognizing our greatest need is mercy and compassion from God. That is our greatest need. That is the greatest human need, that we are reconciled to our Father in heaven. And to do that, we need forgiveness. We need grace. We need mercy and we need compassion, which is exactly what Bartimaeus cried out for. We need forgiveness for our sin that only Jesus can deal with by his death on the cross and his subsequent resurrection. It means throwing everything else aside and coming to him no matter what others say. If Bartimaeus had listened to culture and the crowd and his peers, he would have shut up and he wouldn't have come to Jesus. 
But he said, no, I'm not listening to that. What I need from Jesus is way more important. And I will give up everything I have to get there. And the reality is we're all like Bartimaeus. We are all blind and lost and broken. And only Jesus can restore us. And so if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're not a believer, then you need to come to Jesus for forgiveness. You need to cry out to him for mercy. You need to come to pour out your heart to him, not let anything get in your way. What will others think? What will it mean for my life? It's not relevant. You need to come to Jesus and respond to his message to you. Let him heal you, restore you, save you, bring you into his kingdom. If you are a believer here, many of us are, we follow Jesus, we need to stop and we need to ask ourselves some tough questions. Why am I following Jesus? Is it to gain from him? Is it to gain a position? Is it to gain comfort, wealth, convenience? Do we, are we leaning more towards James and John than to Bartimaeus in our attitude to following Jesus? We need to be people who repent of our sin and recognize actually so often we can be like James and John when we need to be more like Bartimaeus in what we're doing. We are just as in need now as when we got saved of mercy and grace and forgiveness. It happened once when we became a Christian. We were born again. That's wonderful. But actually we live a life where we need it daily. We need to remind ourselves where we've come from and that we still need it now. And we need him to follow Jesus on the way to Jerusalem. Second thing, following Jesus means suffering and serving. It means suffering and serving. In response to the recognition of our need for mercy, we are to follow Jesus on the road of service and suffering. Jesus led the way to Jerusalem where he served and he suffered and he died. He was and is God, the Son, yet he came to earth to serve others and suffer them. And as followers of Jesus, we follow in his footsteps, just like Bartimaeus. And just like the, uh, the rest of the disciples as well, who eventually got it. Not as a way of earning his favor. We don't do it to kind of, if we do this, then we might get those positions in glory. We do it in a response to what he's already done in our life how he saved us, how he transforms us. And as a result, we seek to follow him and emulate him and model him. The life of a believer is one of serving others and suffering for our faith. And it is motivated by our love for Jesus and all he's done for us and in turn, our love for others and those around us. And so as Christians, we must not be surprised that we suffer. The Bible even says that. Do not be surprised at the fiery trials when they come upon you. We are called to do that. I try and live by the rule of thumb. If they did it to Jesus, they're going to do it to me because no servant is greater than his master. And so when you look at it like that, that's what the Christian walk is about. It's about serving others and suffering for him. And we can, the, the good news of that is that we can know Jesus in our suffering. It's one of the things that came out this learning day we did on that actually... The Bible makes promises that even when we said you're going to suffer, but Jesus says, I will be with you in them. And if you've ever been through a period of suffering and known the presence of God with you, you will testify to that. You will testify, actually, he has been with me 
and actually his presence has been with me and through the suffering I have known him. I have somehow, through my suffering, been connected to him in his suffering and through that the presence of God comes. And there's deep thoughts there to dwell on and think about and do your own study on but we are called to serve one another we are called to serve the world and as a result we will suffer but through that suffering we are transformed we are conformed to the image of Jesus and we know his presence with us always and so as believers we are to be quick to serve one another it is our lifestyle it is our me we do not seek glory and honor We seek the low place and we seek to serve one another because that is how the kingdom of God works. And we do that because Jesus is our greatest treasure. He is the one that we look to. Anything the world can offer ultimately will rust and fade. And we do not serve the world. I'm reading through the Gospel of Matthew. I'm in the Sermon on the Mount. Literally, that's what I read this morning. You cannot serve two masters. You serve one. You serve the world or you serve God. And we follow, choose to follow Jesus in all that it means because he is our greatest treasure and he is worth more than anything the world could offer, which is what Bartimaeus has shown. He just threw everything I've got away and I'm going to throw my entire lot in with him. Nothing else will stop me getting to Jesus and I will keep crying until I stop the king of kings in his tracks and he gives me the mercy he's promised. And so we're going to worship now. We're going to finish. Maybe you want to stand. I'm going to kind of pray a bit and then I'll hand over to the guys. We're going to lead us in a bit of singing. And I'm aware there's this will press on things in our hearts because when the word of God is proclaimed, it should press on things and it should push us and it exposes us and it exposes our sin and our self-righteousness and self-centeredness, which is a good place to be because when we repent, we receive the grace of God and we receive healing and transformation just like Bartimaeus did. So maybe you want to close your eyes, open your hands and I'm just going to pray for you, pray for us. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you set your face towards Jerusalem. I want to thank you that you led the way, on the way, to a place of suffering, sacrifice and death. Lord Jesus, for us, that we might know you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your example. We thank you for your leadership. We thank you for your model, Lord Jesus. And I want to thank you that you have poured out your grace and mercy on us, Lord Jesus. When we were lost and broken and blind, you came to us and you saved us, Lord Jesus. And we stand here again as men and women aware of our need. And like Bartimaeus, we cry out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Lord, because we need your grace. We need your compassion. God, we repent of our sin of self-centeredness and self-righteousness where we use you like the genie who will give us what we need. The house and the car and the job and the family and all the the school place and whatever. Lord God, we want to say, we just throw that all aside and say, God, we just put our lot in with you. We come to you. We heed your call. We say we love you. We need you. We need your mercy. We need your grace. We need your forgiveness in our life. And God's people said, Amen.